continuing our series of teaching, um, what is the point? What is the point? We started this sometime last year. Just What is the point of life? What is the point of living? What is the point of church? What is the point of the Bible? What is the point of prayer? What is the point of worship? And so this morning we want to talk about what is the point of the Lord's Supper? How necessary it is, how important it is in a modern contemporary context. How does it apply to our present day lives of faith? How valuable it is and how necessary it is. We're going to look at scripture and, um, and understand the importance of it. And then hopefully um, we'll, it will add value to it as we partake of it wherever. I want to say this. I, I grew up uh, attending church and um, times of communion were very strange. It was almost an identification parade. All right. What I mean by that, you could tell who did some wrong things that week from amongst the believers. Because during communion, they would, they would have everything skip over them. Like when it came to their row, they would say... Because the general consensus, um, as I was a child and I saw these older persons in church, is that if you did something wrong and you touched this bread... And touch this juice, you're going to be dead or you're going to be sick during the week. So if you know what is good for you, you leave it alone because you're sinning and you're not supposed to do it. Especially if you're a child, your parents would say, you're not ready for communion yet. Because when I talk to you, you don't listen to me. You think that's a communion go? You have to listen to me. And then you can start take communion. And then some would say, you're baptized yet? No, you can't have communion. And then as we grew and we, we learned more, we went to the other extreme. No matter what we were doing or how we behave, we just take communion. So we move from one extreme to the other. And both are wrong. And, so, and there is no middle ground. There is just a right way. So I'm not trying to give you middle ground. We want to do what is right. Because there's no middle ground. Middle ground is called lukewarm in the kingdom. And trust me, you don't want to be there. Right? It's better you be negative than positive. But you can't be negative, positive. Not good. You know what is awesome? What is one times one million? Why do you take so long to answer? <laughs> don't, don't, don't. It's not a trick question. <laughs> what is one time a thousand? One thousand. All right? It's kind of funny, right? How things are. That a million, one million, good. And if you have one bad, it can multiply it. It's, 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 it's so strange that if you have a million and you add one to it, the one bad can mess up the entire million. Funny. You know what is strange? Sometimes a million can cancel out one bad. It's like zero, right? And I always tell people if you multiply zero times anything, you get zero. Zero has a way of canceling out a million. 
That is why you must always have something and be doing something. Because if you are zero, you're going to remain zero. So the zero ground is what we call the middle ground. And God wants us to be on the right path, not middle ground. And so that's what we're going to dive into this morning. So 1 Corinthians 11, from 23 to 26, we stand for the reading of God's word because we honor and reverence his word. You, you, don't worry about this. I've been standing. You're going to sit down. I'm going to get to stand. And so I know you're saying one more time again. This is the last time you're going to stand, right? And I'm going to finish very soon, so you don't have to worry. And when I use soon, I use it in the context that Jesus Christ used it. When he said, the Bible says he's coming soon. Amen? Hallelujah. Come on, just lift the Bibles up and say with me that this is God's word, not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened. And I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing and let me read for you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It may sound a little different from yours. Verse 23. For I pass unto you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. And gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is, new, is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink. For every time you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you'll open our eyes to see your truth, open our ears to hear your voice, our minds to understand your word, and our hearts to receive everything that you have in store for us. Lord, we want to be more than mere hearers of your word, but doers also. Change us from the inside out spirit of the living God. Let your will be done, and let your kingdom come. Touch every heart, touch every life with your mighty power. This is your moment, this is your time. And so to you we give all the glory, the honor, and the praise. We decrease so that you would increase in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Hallelujah. We are wounded, right? Um, all of us, by our own sins, we are wounded. I think sometimes some of us believe that um, I, I am not like them because they are better than me or we think that we have people or people think that we have themselves. You remember that story when the, the spies went into uh, to look at the land and 10 came back and they said one of the reports that they gave to Joshua was this. In their eyes we were like grasshoppers. And so what, the, what, what those spies did is that they, they assumed are presumed, are tried to understand what the people were thinking. 
You know, sometimes we, we have a perception about what people think about us, which is far from the truth. I don't know if you have ever been there around someone, and after years they come to you, and they say to you, I thought you didn't like me. And you say to them, why would you think that? And they will say to you, I don't know, I just thought you didn't like me. We, we have a way of thinking like people think that we are worse sinners than them. When people are concerned with their own lives. And we are, we are perplexed by the thought that they must think that I am the worst sinner. When they are concerned with their own lives and sin. And then some of us actually think like we are not as bad sinners as some people. Like, like, like growing up, I did one sin up until I got baptized. Hey, hey, hey. I'm a onesie. <laughs> so I'm good. Like, like it, it's not an act of sin that made us sinners. It's not the act of sin that we do that made us sinners. It is the sin of Adam that caused all of us to be sinners. So we are wounded by our sins. Our scars run deep. They run deep. And many of us today, we live in, uh, in, in the shame and, and, and this pain because of past sins. There are some stuff that we did in the past that still affects us today. The repercussions, the, the ripple effect, the consequences we are living out today. And if we could relive our lives again, some of us would not do some things because the scars of the sins run deep. I just want to tell you what the scripture says, that you are not alone in this. And don't ever let the devil tell you that you are the only one. You are not. The scripture says, there is none righteous. Hallelujah. When I read that for the first time, I clapped my hands and said, thank you, Jesus. I'm in the same boat like all these people in church. There is none righteous. It means all of us started out in the same mess. It says, no, not one. There is none who understand. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. You are not the only one. We have all done it. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. That's Romans 3, 10 to 12. The Bible also says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's, listen, our state is all inclusive. It includes all of us. All of us, you are not alone. The enemy will tell you that and the guilt of feeling like you're the only one would, will restrict you and keep you in that place of sin. God wants you to know that, listen, all of mankind has the problem that you and I have. But there is a way of escape. There is a way that you can get out of it. The only difference is that some, per, some people have taken the escape route provided by God. He rescues us. And for him to rescue us, he had to become wounded because we were. And that is why scripture says he became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. This is, I think, one of the most awesome truths, one of the mysteries of scriptures. That Jesus could not sin, did not sin, but yet he became sin. 
like like how did divinity to con sin I want us to understand what he did. He loved you so much that he didn't just look at you and try to pull you out. He came where you were and he took on what you had. And said, listen, I'm going to take the wound, the scars, the reproach, the shame, all of these things that you have been through, I'm going to take them. That's why Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, Jesus was wounded for our transgression. The outward stuff. And he was bruised for our iniquities. The inward stuff. You know how the bruise is? On the surface it looks okay. But underneath it a whole lot of bad stuff are happening. You see Jesus says listen. All the stuff that nobody knows that you're thinking. Nobody knows going on in your heart. The broken heartedness that nobody sees and knows. I will take all of that. All the stuff that you have done wrong. I will take all of that. It says the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes. We are healed. He has come to rescue us. Listen, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. I want you to know this morning that God is not just concerned when your ankle is paining you, He's concerned when your heart is hurting you. He's not just concerned if you have a broken leg, He's also concerned when you have a broken heart. What does understand? When your mind is perplexed, he says, listen, there's a peace that surpasses all understanding that you can enjoy. You know, he talks about, and you'll find rest for your soul. He's talking about your mind, your emotions, and your will. He's saying that, listen, whatever, wherever you're hurting, whatever sin has caused, I am able to rescue you, to heal you, to deliver you. I'm here for you. That's a loving God. You see, that's what we remember as we come to communion to, to the communion table. Our rescuer crossed enemy lines. Coming to earth. Being mortally wounded so that we can be completely healed from our wounds. That's what Jesus did. That's really what communion is about. Remembering that Jesus Christ, he came to earth. He put aside his divinity. He took on humanity. Philippians tells us that he humbled himself unto death. In all that moment, he wasn't God. He was 100% man. And I want you to understand, he became man. It was a man, Christ Jesus, that died. Jesus never asked his disciples to remember his birth. You know, he never asked them. He, he, he didn't say, remember my birth. But he did instruct them to remember, to remember his death and his resurrection. I wonder if we have overemphasized his birth and minimized his death and resurrection. That's what communion is all about. The Lord's Supper is an object lesson that represents great spiritual truth for believers. So what is the Lord's Supper? It's very simple. In your notes, it's a simple act. It's, it's a simple act. I, I kind of I, I love Jesus, right? He comes on earth and he takes everything that was complicated and he simplified it. I, I love church. Church is so, so much fun. 
Like when, when I'm in church, many times I listen to stuff, I laugh. Like I find it so hilarious, right? Because we will take the things that Jesus simplified. And we take the things that Jesus made simple. And you know what we do? We complicate them. <laughs> I'm saying like, this is amazing. Like Jesus was giving us parables to understand. And somebody take the parable and make it hard to understand. I'm thinking like, hello. <laughs> Come on. I didn't hear Jesus giving people the Greek word for this and the Hebrew for this. I didn't hear Jesus talking about hermeneutics and, and deep theology and numerology. Right? At, Jesus said, listen, a man had then, then he, uh, yeah, 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 some servants. Put them out to work. And he get, different times they came in and all of them got the CMP. What do you think about that? <laughs> I like, like what he, he said, listen, this lady lost a coin. This man lost a son. And this man lost a sheep. The one with the sheep keep a party. The lady with the coin rejoice. And the son come running home. Whether you are out in the field, you can be saved. In the house, you can be saved. Or in a pit, you can be saved. Message completed. Hey, we take that man and do one sermon for one week. <laughs> I know you're there sitting and say, that sounds like you, pastor. I know. <laughs> I know that's what you're saying. But... It's a simple act. The scripture said the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And I don't want to miss this in the scripture. It's simple. Jesus took bread. He is there with his disciples and on this evening he picks up bread. Right? Uh, what, is, what is the point of the point to notice that this is not the first time Jesus would have ate bread with his disciples. So the point of this whole text is not the eating or the picking up of bread. It is betrayed. It, 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 it's about what happened that night and what it was going to lead to more than the picking up of bread. The subject of this is not the bread that was picked up. It was what the betrayal would be leading to. Because this is not the first time that they have partaken in bread. You remember that on a couple of occasions he fed people with fish and bread? But there's no emphasis on any betrayal. So the, the, it's not about the bread. There's a bigger spiritual truth in all of this. So it's a simple act, but it has great importance because he, it was a night that he was betrayed. On the same night on which he was betrayed. On this, on this special night. On this important night. On this night in which he was betrayed. Jesus performed a simple act. He picked up some bread. Listen, I've picked up bread many, many times. I, I know you have. Listen, if you don't eat bread, you need Jesus. I'm telling you, bread is good. Listen, nutritionist, she's, I think she's the head of the, 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 at the university of the West Indies. She's the head person up there in the 
I don't even know what they call it, nutrition, whatever department that deals with that. So I did an interview with her, and she said that you're supposed to only eat two slices of bread a day. And I, I mean, I'm saying to her, do you, have you ever seen bread? This is not the bread like in the 70s, and in the 60s, and in the 80s. This bread is different. This bread, I mean, two slices make one. So at minimum, you need four slices of bread. <laughs> it's, it's just different from what... The bread is different now. So I've continued having my four slices of bread. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But so it, it can't be about picking up bread. It can't be. Right? Even though it's a simple act, a common act, and today we will pick up bread. It will be different because there's something different about this night jesus would be betrayed on this night so this meal had greater significance remember that this was during the passover when you go back to the old testament the passover was instituted when the children of israel were coming out of egypt uh, one of the last things that happened was that the firstborn, and they were going to be killed. And so people had to put uh, blood over their doorpost. And if you were not in the house with the blood, then the angel would not pass over. If the angel saw the blood, he would pass over that house. And so that is how the Passover was. So this is the Passover. It was a big thing and they would do many things during the time. It was a long feast and lengthy stuff and all different kinds of rituals would take place. And here it is in the midst of all of this. Jesus just gets some bread and said, listen, let's eat. He simplified it. And he was trying to say to them that, listen, you see, all that you have been doing all this time, this is what it really means. All of this from your forefathers was pointing to this particular night. It culminates. It comes to an end right here. Do you get it? It, it is simple. But it is major, major, major. This is not about the wafer. It's not about the unleavened bread. It's about Jesus. The fact that he would be betrayed. He would be arrested. And he would be crucified and that you'd resurrect that's what it's about so whenever we come to this point whenever we pick up bread whether we do it in our home whether we do it here at church when we get bread whatever bread we use whether it is whole wheat bread white bread um uh, uh what do you call it a uh, uh, flat bread pita bread whatever kind of bread you use it's never about the bread it's about the betrayal and what we have done, we have made it about the bread. You can't use this. We all are supposed to break from the same bread because we are missing the significance. The significance is not the bread. It's the fact that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is about to be crucified. It's a reminder. The scripture goes on and says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. And when I read this, I said, What does this mean? He had not died. He was still living. So what does he mean by my body, which is broken for you? He had not been broken. He had not been beaten at this point. 
He says, my body which is broken for you, eat in remembrance of me. So we are to remember what Jesus has done for us. So when we come and we say, let's take the bread, we begin to remember what Jesus did. That's what it means. What did he do? Let me remind you of some of this stuff. You remember how he prayed in the garden? He said, Father, if there is any way you can take this cup from me, please do it. But not my will, but yours be done. What did Jesus do? He denied himself so that he could give his life on our behalf and please the Father. As if Jesus was saying, listen, if there's a way that it doesn't have to be this way, then let it be. But nonetheless, listen, above all else, I want to do what you want to get done, God. We have to remember when we come here or when you're at home and you take this and you say, listen, I want to remember my Lord. You remember that he gave up his will to do the Father's will. And that's the significance of this moment. It's getting to that place where I'm ready like you, Jesus. To give up my desires to please the Father. To give up my ways to do your way. To give up my life so I can pick up your life. That's what it's about. Remember that these words, were, as these words were leaving his lips, they arrived to arrest him. Can you imagine? He, Jesus could have defended himself. And they came and he arrested him. But he humbled himself. Because he was thinking about you. And he was thinking about me. He was thinking about how wounded we were by sin. He was thinking about the bruise because of the iniquity. He was thinking about the, the wound because of the transgression. And he said, listen, even though they are coming to arrest me, let them arrest me because I'm doing this for you. And we need to remember that. Remember that he was bounced around that evening from one courtroom to another. They brought him here and the man said, listen, no, 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 you take him to Rome. No, no, you take him to, no, no, you take him there all around. Listen, an innocent man, an innocent man was taken from court to court to court until a court decided that we will have him punished. Though nothing was done. Remember that he was beaten. Let me ask you, how many of you would be okay coming into the courts of the church and allow your pastor to strip you and flog you in front of the congregation. You'd call it a cult. You'd say, listen, I mean, all of you would walk out. Any pastor who tells you that, I, I, any pastor who tells me that, I'm gone. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> why? Because, listen, and here's, here's, here's why it's important. Don't forget this. Remember what he did. We are told as parents not to discipline our kids in public. Because one, it embarrasses. And two, it leaves a mark in their memory that somehow diminishes many times your ability to correct them. So parents will say, what if they embarrass me in public? Shouldn't I punish them? No. To punish a child in public can be Life impacting and very embarrassing. Imagine doing that to an adult in public. Imagine a husband embarrassing his wife in front of a huge congregation of people. The scars that will leave on a marriage. What is the point? Jesus 
Do you know that Jesus was beaten publicly? It wasn't hidden from the eyes of people. Why was that important? Because it's there that all our shame was placed on him. So the reproaches roll away because Jesus took your shame. You don't have to be ashamed anymore. Why? Because Jesus, when he was beaten publicly, he did it. He took all the strikes in public. Embarrassing and shameful. We remember that. He took my shame. He was also crucified. And we remember that. At this point, crucifixion was the worst of all the executions that they had in the day. There are many ways that they would execute people. But they had to make a public stance and mark. It was embarrassing. It was the worst way to die at that time. He was crucified. He also died. So yes, as we come to the table, it is a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. He took our shame. He took death so we'd have life. He took our sins. He was crucified. He went through the worst so that we could live our best lives. And we remember that. Remember where he's starting from. His starting point and our starting point is different. We started at non-righteous. He started out as the righteous one. But he ended up, listen, church, this is awesome, because he ended up where we started. And we end up where he started when we accept him. That's what we remember. That he started out righteous and hung on a cross with all our sin. So that we who started out with sin would never hang on a cross but stand in righteousness. And we remember that. But it's also a symbol. It says, in the same way he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it to remember me. So, as I was preparing my sermon this week, right, I have this group that I'm in, because, like I said, I play soccer, and, you know, they, they, give, they give the believers a hard time in, in that group, right? You know, Jamaica is, they just find the craziest thing and try to challenge you. What, you, you know, you don't get in those arguments. What do you think about this? So, there's a scripture in Numbers 31. Um, I want you to put it up for me, right? So, they put this in the group, and they said to me, what you Christians think about this? Uh, Numbers chapter 31 verse 17. Uh, uh, let, let's find it. All right, It's actually in your Bibles, but you can follow me, right? So this is what they put in the group. They actually skipped out that part with the boys. So they said, kill all the boys and all the women who have had intercourse with a man. Right? Listen to the scriptures. So, so these are, they're asking me, what do I think about this? Verse 17 says, so remember, it, all they showed me is that um, they took out the part that says, all the boys and says, kill all the women who have intercourse with a man. Alright? Then go to the next verse. Verse 18 says, but keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. 
and they started asking, what do your Christians say? So I, of course, I didn't respond. Um, because, you know, they're going to question, how can a good God do all of this? So I sent it to a couple of persons, um, my friends here at church. And um, one person responded, I need to go and read this to myself. You know, when they read it and they realized it was in there, the conversation ended. Right? Because you have these scriptures in the Bible that when you read them, by his stripes you are healed. You don't even need to reference. You're just, that, that sounds good. That must be real. Hallelujah. I'm healed by his stripes. You hear this? Kill all the ladies who have had intercourse. You say, oh my God. Like, listen, is that real? God could not mean that. This, this is an actual incident that happened. A command was given, but if you take it out of context, then there are problems. Alright? That's not my point. Here, here's the point I'm making. The things that happened in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, were so difficult that many of us would cringe at doing them today. Jesus Christ, in the New Testament, said this, listen, when you come to the time of communion, and you drink of the symbolic reference to my blood, what you're doing you are celebrating the new covenant. Do you realize? He said that. Do you realize what you're moving away from? Do you realize the 613 laws that you are moving away from? Some of them you don't even know because you only know the Ten Commandments. You don't know all the little sections underneath each of those. Do you realize that you're moving away from that? And you're anchoring your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ? Do you realize that you don't have to kill a turtle dove anymore? Do you realize that you don't have to keep kill a, a sheep anymore? A calf anymore? Do you realize that you're under a new covenant? This is why this is so important. Says, this is my body, this is my blood. I do not believe that this bread literally becomes the body of Christ. And I do not believe that the elements in the cup literally becomes the blood of Christ. But I do believe that they are symbols of both the body and the blood of Christ. And symbols are powerful. I mean, if you Americans know this and Jamaicans know this. Listen, I, I get upset when I see how people treat the national flag, the Jamaican flag. Like, I, I, I will go to football games and they'll have them on these flimsy stuff and when the game is finished, they're, in, they're upset and they throw them on the ground and hey, be, done with, be done with this Jamaican team. That's, that's, that's your flag. That is, it's symbolic. It, it hurts an American when they look on TV and see some other people from some other nation burning their national flag. It, it, it does something to you. Because the flag represents America. It represents Jamaica. It represents what the nation is built on. What the nation represents and stands for. Though it is not the nation. So though these things are not Jesus Christ. Every time we come. They are significant because they represent a greater truth. They are symbols. And symbols are important. The flag stands for freedom and liberty. All those persons who fought to set our nations free and for our independence. It represents all of that. It represents our unity. It represents the very essence of our nation. Though it is not the nation. You don't see the Jamaican flag and say, here is Jamaica. 
But here's what you do. Every time you go somewhere, if you go, when an American comes to Jamaica, and they see an American flag on a building, here's what they say. An American is there. Because the flag speaks to a greater truth. When I travel in the United States, every time I see a Jamaican flag, I said, there must be a Jamaican somewhere in the vicinity. And you say to yourself, thank you, Jesus. I am not alone in this place. You, you know that feeling because it just, there's something beyond just the flag. It, it stands for something. These things, they stand for a greater truth. Even if it's the bread at your home, it stands for a greater truth. Symbols, they excite emotions and they can bring back memories. They are important and they are powerful. Today we see symbols, the bread, the cup. They are simple items. And we are reminded for they are symbols of our faith. And so the final point is because they are symbols of our faith, the Lord's Supper is a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. For whenever you eat the bread, and I'm glad that it says whenever because you should not wait until first Sundays to eat bread and drink wine in remembrance of your Savior. It, it, it ought to be ongoing. Again, remember, it's not about the kind of bread or the type of bread. It's about what the bread represents. So you can do it at your home. Do you know that you can do it at home with your family? With the bread you buy in the supermarket? Because it's not about the bread. It's not about the grape juice. It's what they represent. It says, for whatever you eat and drink this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. You're speaking to a greater truth. You're saying, I, I, thank, I thank God that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He was crucified. And he's resurrected. Because he's coming back. It's a statement of faith. I believe in his death. I believe in his resurrection. I believe in his death. And I believe in... Every time you partake, you're saying, I believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He's coming again. Jesus in all his glory. Not just a savior, the song says, but a reigning king. He's coming again. Listen, I don't know when, but I know he's coming. I don't know if I'll be living or I'll be dead, but he is coming. Uh, it's a testament that I believe that Jesus came and was crucified. So, so I, when, I, when I learned this, I said to myself, so why would someone come to church and not want to, who is a believer, and not want to participate in communion? It, it's more about my proclamation than my examination. And what do I mean by that? I'm going to get into that. Because sometimes we make it about examining ourselves more than proclaiming his death, burial, and resurrection. So if it is that important, Pastor, you may be asking me, how do I prepare to participate in communion or in the Lord's Supper? Let me answer that for you. It's very simple. The application is simple. By self-examination. 
self-examination. I had some doctors in the first service, and I told them that I could be a doctor. I think being a doctor is easy. Yeah, like seriously. Like if, if Jesus did it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, I just, that's just me. You may not believe me, but I'm not talking about like Bush doctor. I could be a real, real medical practitioner. All right, let me tell you how I know. Because patients, when they go to visit the doctor, they are the masters, doctors, of helping you do self-examination. When you go to the doctor's office, they say to you, how are you doing today? I'm fine. And they ask you, how can I help you today? And you tell them, doc, I'm having some pain in my stomach. They say, really, how long have you been having this pain? Uh, For three weeks now. What did you eat? Do you have any allergies? They just ask a question. And you begin to diagnose what you did all week and what could cause it. And you tell the doctor. All the doctor does is says, okay, now that you have identified your problem, let me solve it for you. And they prescribe to you medication. Isn't that what doctors do? So you're saying no. <laughs> Listen, no doctor, you, if you walk into the doctor's office and say nothing, they can't help you. For any doctor to properly help you, they need proper communication from you and proper assessment of you from you. And when, when what you're saying is in conflict with what they're seeing, They do x-rays. They get something else to help them see it. So you can see too. Because the way you really come into a reality that something needs to fix is when you identify it by yourself. So self-examination is imperative in the Christian faith. You have to examine yourself. David knew, David said, search me. He says, when I, when I acknowledge my sin, he spoke to that because he realized that the one way that I'm going to get fixed by Dr. Jesus is if I begin to examine my problems. So when we come to communion, we prepare by self-examination. A person ought to examine himself before he eats of this bread or drinks of this cup. Simply put, if you don't examine you, you're going to be upset because somebody else is going to examine you. And when people come to us and say to us, you know, I realize that you have been sleeping around. Excuse me, are you God? Who made you judge over us? And that is why I don't like you church people. You just walk up to me telling me about, listen, that is why it's important that you examine you. Because one thing we all hate is when people walk around. Like, like sin police and point out our sins. But if you don't do it, then God will send people in your life to point it out for you. Like Nathan had to go to David and say, well, David, you know, you, you don't want to point out your sin? Well, let me come and tell you what's going on around here, my friend. This is what is happening. So we have to have self-examination. We ought to examine ourselves communion is not for you to question what your husband is doing wrong it's for you to come before dr jesus 
and examine yourself so he can prescribe something for you. Self-evaluation was what the Apostle Paul called for in 1 Corinthians 11. 11. So believers in Christ need to examine themselves. You have to examine yourself. You have to check yourself. They say before you, wreck yourself. And every time we come to communion and the Lord's Supper, it is called our doctor's visit. And Jesus is the doctor. And that is why you need monthly checkups. You need weekly checkups. Because the wounds and the scars of sin, they have run deep. They're like cancer. And they call it remission. It's in remission. That's it, right? But sometimes you have to make sure that you go and check regularly because you don't want it to be creeping back up in your life. And it gets back to stage four before you identify it. So there needs to be constant self-examination. Paul teaches that the Lord's Supper should not be taken in an unworthy manner. And simply put, like don't take it without self-examination. Examine yourself. And also, don't just go through the motions and take it lightly. There's great value to it. That's what I was speaking about. We have moved from one extreme to the other. Where we just think like, okay, well, I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to do this. So let me just go ahead and do it. No. Here's why I don't want you to just go through the motions and take it lightly. Because Jesus Christ gave his life for our salvation. He didn't take going to the cross lightly. So we shouldn't take the thing that reminds us of the cross lightly. We should take the Lord's Supper seriously. The Lord's Supper is a time to examine our own spiritual lives. It is a time to look deep into our own souls and see what our daily walk with God consists of. And so the story is shared of Max, I think, Lucado Lucedo, however you want to pronounce it. I get the max part right. Um, but he has this book called Six Hours, One Friday. And he, in it he tells the story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. They lived near a river. And the tribe was in need of medical attention. The tribe needed the doctor's help. A contagious disease was rage, ravaging the population. And people were dying daily. It's like how sin is destroying the world. And people are dying daily. And they are on the side of the river. And so a hospital was not too far away. It was just across the river. There is hope across the river. But the Indians would not cross it. Because they believe it was inhabited by evil spirits. To enter the water for them would mean certain death. The missionary explained how he had crossed the river and he was unharmed. But the people were not impressed. He then took them to the bank of the river and placed his hand in the water. But the people still would not go in. He walked into the water up to his waist and splashed water on his face. It didn't matter. The people just didn't want to cross the river. Finally, he dove into the river swam beneath the surface until he emerged on the other side. He punched a triumphant fist into the air. He had entered the water and escaped. It was then 
that the Indians broke out into a cheer and followed him across the river. That's exactly what Jesus did. He told the people of his day that they need not fear the river of death. But they wouldn't believe him. He touched a dead boy and called him back to life. But they still didn't believe him. He whispered life into the body of a dead girl. And she came back to life. But they still didn't believe him. He let a dead man spend four days in a tomb. And then, them, and then called him out. And the people still didn't believe him. Finally, he himself entered the river of death. And came out on the other side. And he won the victory. And it was then that they believed. The truth is, isn't it amazing that all the stories of Jesus resurrecting people was to prove that he's the resurrection and the life. And they didn't believe until he proved by himself that he is indeed the resurrection and the, li- and the life. You see, it wasn't enough for him to raise someone else. He had to raise up himself. And he has won the victory. He is alive. So as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to remember. We need to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. He experienced death. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes... We are healed. But we also need to remember that we serve a risen Savior who will return again someday. So there's an old hymn. It goes something like this. It says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer and just the time I need him he's always near he lives he lives Christ Jesus lives today he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way he lives he lives salvation to impart You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. The Lord's Supper, it's a simple act. It's a reminder. It's a symbol. And it's also a statement of our faith. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back again. I'm going to ask you this morning to just take the wafer. It's not about this. This in and of itself can do nothing to restore hope, to forgive sin, to transform life. 
it is a truth that it speaks to that Jesus Christ became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God that on your worst day God is good that your most embarrassing moment he took unto himself so you need not be ashamed the biggest sin that you have ever committed the one that caused the most guilt and the most pain he paid for it with his own life that's what this is about it's not something that we do once a month it's something that every time we get the opportunity whether in home whether in our group whether with friends when we break bread and drink wine or drink juice whatever it's going to be that we remember what he did for us that he gave his life that we would live so he took the bread and he broke it that night he was betrayed this is my body that's broken for you eat in remembrance of me let's eat together I also know from this that sitting at that table was Judas This is why the self-examination is important. Cuz Jesus pointed out that someone was about to do something wrong. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit tells us where in our lives we need to examine. And if we fail to examine ourselves, it may lead to the peril that Judas experienced. unexamined life is a life that never maximizes itself anything in life that goes unchecked always gets wrecked if you don't get a car service it's going to stop running if you don't go to the dentist your mouth won't be the best If you don't go and check your physical body, you'll have all kind of sicknesses. An unexamined life always ends up in a wreck. And that's what happened to Judas. So Jesus in that moment took the cup and he said this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. Saying to the Judas Peter listen this blood can wash away your sins it can cleanse you it can restore you it can make you whole it says drink in remembrance of me let's drink together just bow your heads let me pray with you this morning I'm going to invite the worship team to come
and sing about our risen Savior. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for every person in this room. We thank you that you went to Calvary's cross and you gave up your life so that we would have life. Your life wasn't taken. You gave it up for us. You took our sin. You took our shame by your great sacrifice. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the body. We thank you that we serve a risen Savior. You're not just raised Lazarus, the little boy or a young lady. You rose from the dead. And so we continue to proclaim your death and your resurrection until the day that you return. We stop and we check and we examine ourselves. Spirit of the living God, we also ask you to search us and know our hearts, we pray. If there's any sin, Lord God, give us that sharpness of spirit to confess our sins to you. For you said in your word, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, keep us in your mercy until we come to true repentance. Extend your grace forever towards us. We turn from every evil way and we turn to you. We make a U-turn 180 degrees. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. So we will walk in righteousness and holiness and have a blind eye so we can't see sins to commit. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, just stand to your feet with me this morning as we close this afternoon and just, just put your hands together and give the Lord a big hand clap. Come on, just lift your hands. Come on, just lift your hands with me. Lift your hands with me this morning. And just take a minute right now and just, just, just say, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he lives. Whatever men will say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he is always near. Hallelujah. I serve a reason, Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. Whatever man may say, I see. 
Jesus.